0: CHAPTER 7.1 OF THE 9-11 COMMISSION REPORT This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leanne Howlett The 9-11 COMMISSION REPORT CHAPTER 7.1 THE ATTACK LOOMS FIRST ARRIVALS IN CALIFORNIA In Chapter 5, we described the Southeast Asia travels of Nawaf al-Hazmi, Khalid al-Midyar, and others in January 2000 on the first part of the plane's operation. In that chapter, we also described how Midhar was spotted in Kuala Lumpur early in January 2000, along with associates who were not identified, and then was lost to sight when the group passed through Bangkok. On January 15th, Hazmi and Midar arrived in Los Angeles. They spent about two weeks there before moving on to San Diego. Two weeks in Los Angeles. Why Hazmi and Midar came to California, we do not know for certain. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, KSM, the organizer of the planes operation, explains that California was a convenient point of entry from Asia and had the added benefit of being far away from the intended target area. Hazmi and Mittar were ill-prepared for a mission in the United States. Their only qualifications for this plot were their devotion to Osama bin Laden, their veteran service, and their ability to get valid U.S. visas. Neither had spent any substantial time in the West, and neither spoke much, if any, English. It would therefore be plausible that they or KSM would have tried to identify, in advance, a friendly contact for them in the United States, in detention, KSM denies that Al-Qaeda had any agents in Southern California. We do not credit this denial. We believe it is unlikely that Hazmi and Madar, neither of whom, in contrast to the Hamburg group, had any prior exposure to life in the West, would have come to the United States without arranging to receive assistance from one or more individuals informed in advance of their arrival. KSM says that though he told others involved in the conspiracy to stay away from mosques, and to avoid establishing personal contacts. He made an exception in this case and instructed Hazmi and Midar to pose as newly arrived Saudi students and seek assistance at local mosques. He counted on their breaking off any such relationships once they moved to the East Coast. Our inability to ascertain the activities of Hazmi and Midar during their first two weeks in the United States may reflect al-Qaeda tradecraft designed to protect the identity of anyone who may have assisted them during that period. Hasmi and Midar were directed to enroll in English-language classes upon arriving in Southern California, so that they could begin pilot training as soon as possible. KSM claims to have steered the two to San Diego on the basis of his own research, which supposedly included thumbing through a San Diego phone book acquired at a Karachi flea market. Contradicting himself, he also says that, as instructed, they attempted to enroll in three language schools in Los Angeles. After the pair cleared Immigration and Customs at Los Angeles International Airport, we do not know where they went. They appear to have obtained assistance from the Muslim community, specifically the community surrounding the King Fahd Mosque in Culver City, one of the most prominent mosques in Southern California. It is fairly certain that Hazmi and Medar spent time at the King Fahd Mosque and made some acquaintances there. One witness interviewed by the FBI after the September 11th attacks has said he first met the hijackers at the mosque in early 2000. Furthermore, one of the people who would befriend them, a man named Madar Abdullah, recalled a trip with Hasmi and Madar to Los Angeles in June, when, on their arrival, the three went to the King Fahd mosque. There, Hasmi and Madar greeted various individuals whom they appeared to have met previously, including a man named Kalam. In Abdullah's telling, when Kalam visited the al-Qaeda operatives at their motel that evening, Abdullah was asked to leave the room so that Hazmi, Madar, and Kalam could meet in private. The identity of Kalam and his purpose in meeting with Hazmi and Madar remain unknown. To understand what Hazmi and Madar did in their first weeks in the United States, evidently staying in Los Angeles, we have investigated whether anyone associated with the King Fahd Mosque assisted them. This subject has received substantial attention in the media. Some have speculated that Fahad al-Thumari, an imam at the mosque and an accredited diplomat at the Saudi Arabian Consulate from 1996 until 2003, may have played a role in helping the hijackers establish themselves on their arrival in Los Angeles. This speculation is based, at least in part, on Thameri's reported leadership of an extremist faction at the mosque. A well-known figure at the King Fahd Mosque and within the Los Angeles Muslim community The Maori was reputed to be an Islamic fundamentalist and a strict adherent to Orthodox Wahhabi doctrine. Some Muslims concerned about his preaching have said he injected non-Islamic themes into his guidance-slash-prayers at the King Fahd Mosque and had followers supportive of the events of September eleventh, two 2001. The Maori appears to have associated with a particularly radical faction within the community of local worshippers and had a network of contacts in other cities in the United States. After 9-11, Thamari's conduct was a subject of internal debate among some Saudi officials. He apparently lost his position at the King Fouled Mosque, possibly because of his immoderate reputation. On May 6, 2003, Thamari attempted to re-enter the United States from Saudi Arabia but was refused entry based on a determination by the State Department that he might be connected with terrorist activity. When interviewed by both the FBI and the Commission staff, the Mahari has denied preaching anti-western sermons much less promoting violent jihad more to the point he claimed not to recognize either hazmi or madar both denials are somewhat suspect he likewise denied knowing omar al Bayumi, a man from san diego we will discuss shortly even though witnesses and telephone records establish that the two men had contact with each other similarly the mahri's claim not to know modar abdullah is belied by Abdullah's contrary assertion. On the other hand, Thumari undoubtedly met with and provided religious counseling to countless individuals during his tenure at the King Fahd Mosque, so he might not remember two transients like Hazmi and Madar several years later. The circumstantial evidence makes Thumari a logical person to consider as a possible contact for Hazmi and Madar, yet, after exploring the available leads, we have not found evidence that thumari provided assistance to the two operatives. We do not pick up their trail until february first two thousand when they encountered omar al bayoumi and kasen bin don at a halal food restaurant on Venice Boulevard in Culver city a few blocks away from the king Thad mosque. Bayoumi and bin don have both told us that they had driven up from San Diego earlier that day so that bayoumi could address a visa issue and collect some papers from the Saudi consulate. Bayoumi heard Hazmi and Medar speaking in what he recognized to be Gulf Arabic and struck up a conversation. Since Bin Don knew only a little Arabic, he had to rely heavily on Bayumi to translate for him. Mirar and Hazmi said they were students from Saudi Arabia who had just arrived in the United States to study English. They said they were living in an apartment near the restaurant but did not specify the address. They did not like Los Angeles and were having a hard time, especially because they did not know anyone. Bayumi told them how pleasant San Diego was and offered to help them settle there. The two pairs then left the restaurant and went their separate ways. Bayumi and Ben Don have been interviewed many times about the February first, two thousand lunch. For the most part, their respective accounts corroborate each other. However, Bayumi has said that he and Ben Don attempted to visit the King Fod Mosque after lunch but could not find it. Ben Don, on the other hand, recalls visiting the mosque twice that day for prayers, both before and after the meal. Bindan's recollection is spotty and inconsistent. Bayumi's version can be challenged as well, since the mosque is close to the restaurant, and Bayumi had visited it and the surrounding area on multiple occasions, including twice within six weeks of February 1st. We do not know whether the lunch encounter occurred by chance or design. We know about it because Bayumi told law enforcement that it happened. Bayoumi, then 42 years old, was in the United States as a business student, supported by a private contractor for the Saudi Civil Aviation Authority, where Bayoumi had worked for over 20 years. The object of considerable media speculation following 9-11, he lives now in Saudi Arabia, well aware of his notoriety. Both we and the FBI have interviewed him and investigated evidence about him. Bayoumi is a devout Muslim, obliging and gregarious. He spent much of his spare time involved in religious study and helping run a mosque in El Cajon, about 15 miles from San Diego. It is certainly possible that he has dissembled about some aspects of his story, perhaps to counter suspicion. On the other hand, we have seen no credible evidence that he believed in violent extremism or knowingly aided extremist groups. Our investigators, who have dealt directly with him and studied his background, find him to be an unlikely candidate for clandestine involvement with Islamist extremists. THE MOVE TO SAN DIEGO By February 4th, Hazmi and Midyar had come to San Diego from Los Angeles, possibly driven by Modar Abdullah. Abdullah, a Yemeni University student in his early twenties, is fluent in both Arabic and English, and was perfectly suited to assist the hijackers in pursuing their mission. After 9-11, Abdullah was interviewed many times by the FBI. He admitted knowing of Hazmi Medar's extremist leanings and Medar's involvement with the Islamic Army of Aden, a group with ties to al-Qaeda, back in Yemen. Abdullah clearly was sympathetic to those extremist views. During a post-9-11 search of his possessions, the FBI found a notebook, belonging to someone else, with references to planes falling from the sky, mass killing and hijacking. Further, when detained as a material witness following the 9-11 attacks, Abdullah expressed hatred for the U.S. government and stated that the U.S. brought this on themselves. When interviewed by the FBI after 9-11, Abdullah denied having advanced knowledge of attacks. In May 2004, however, we learned of reports about Abdullah bragging to fellow inmates at a California prison in September through October 2003 that he had known Hazmi and Madar were planning a terrorist attack. The stories attributed to Abdullah are not entirely consistent with each other. Specifically, according to one inmate, Abdullah claimed an unnamed individual had notified him that Hazmi Emidar would be arriving in Los Angeles with plans to carry out an attack. Abdullah allegedly told the same inmate that he had driven the two Al-Qaeda operatives from Los Angeles to San Diego, but did not say when this occurred. We have been unable to corroborate this account. Another inmate has recalled Abdullah claiming he first heard about the hijackers' terrorist plans after they arrived in San Diego, when they told him they planned to fly an airplane into a building and invited him to join them on the plane. According to this inmate, Abdullah also claimed to have found out about the 9-11 attacks three weeks in advance, a claim that appears to dovetail with evidence that Abdullah may have received a phone call from Hazmi around that time, that he stopped making calls from his telephone after August twenty-fifth, two 2001, and that, according to his friends, he started acting strangely. Although boasts among prison inmates often tend to be unreliable, this evidence is obviously important. To date, neither we nor the FBI have been able to verify Abdullah's alleged jailhouse statements, despite investigative efforts. We thus do not know when or how Hazmi and Midar first came to San Diego. We do know that on February 4th, they went to the Islamic Center of San Diego to find Omar al-Bayoumi and take him up on his offer of help. Bayoumi obliged by not only locating an apartment, but also helping them to fill out the lease application, co-signing the lease, and when the real estate agent refused to take cash for a deposit, helping them open a bank account, which they did with a $9,900 deposit. He then provided a certified check from his own account for which the Al Qaeda operatives reimbursed him on the spot for the deposit. Neither then nor later did Bayumi give money to either Hasmi or Midar, who had received money from KSM. Hasmi and Midar moved in with no furniture and practically no possessions. Soon after the move, Bayumi used their apartment for a party attended by some twenty male members of the Muslim community. At Bayumi's request, Ben Don videotaped the gathering with Bayumi's video camera, Hasmi and Medar did not mingle with the other guests, and reportedly spent most of the party by themselves off camera in a back room. Hasmi and Medar immediately started looking for a different place to stay. Based on their comment to Bayumi about the first apartment being expensive, one might infer that they wanted to save money. They may also have been reconsidering the wisdom of living so close to the video camera wielding Bayumi, who Hasmi seemed to think was some sort of Saudi spy. Just over a week after moving in, Hasmi and Medar filed a thirty day notice of intention to vacate. Bayumi apparently loaned them his cell phone to help them check out possibilities for new accommodations. Their initial effort to move turned out poorly. An acquaintance arranged with his landlord to have Medar take over his apartment. Medar put down a six hundred fifty dollars deposit and signed a lease for the apartment effective march first. Several weeks later, Medar sought a refund of his deposit claiming he no longer intended to move in because the apartment was too messy. When the landlord refused to refund the deposit, Medar became belligerent. The landlord remembers him ranting and raving as if he were psychotic. Hasmi and Medar finally found a room to rent in the home of an individual they had met at a mosque in San Diego. According to the homeowner, the future hijackers moved in on May 10, 2000. Medar moved out after only about a month. On June 9, he left San Diego to return to Yemen. Hasmi, on the other hand, stayed at this house for the rest of his time in California until mid-December. He would then leave for Arizona with a newly arrived nine eleven hijacker pilot, Hani Hanjour. While in San Diego, Hasmi and Midar played the part of recently arrived foreign students. They continued to reach out to members of the Muslim community for help. At least initially they found well-meaning new acquaintances at the Islamic Center of San Diego, which was only a stone's throw from the apartment where they first lived. For example, when they purchased a used car with cash, they bought it from a man who lived across the street from the Islamic Center and who let them use his address in registering the vehicle, an accommodation to help a fellow Muslim brother. Similarly, in April, when their cash supply may have been dwindling, Hazmi persuaded the administrator of the Islamic Center to let him use the administrator's bank account to receive a $5,000 wire transfer from someone in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. This was KSM's nephew, Ali Abdul Aziz Ali. Hazmi and Madar visited other mosques as well, mixing comfortably as devout worshippers. During the operative's critical first weeks in San Diego, Madar Abdullah helped them. Translating between English and Arabic, he assisted them in obtaining California drivers' licenses and with applying to language and flight schools. Abdullah also introduced them to his circle of friends. He shared an apartment with some of those friends near the Rabat Mosque in La Mesa, a few miles from the hijacker's residence. Abdullah has emerged as a key associate of Hazmi Imidar in San Diego, detained after nine eleven first as a material witness, then on immigration charges. He was deported to Yemen on May 21, 2004, after the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of California declined to prosecute him on charges arising out of his alleged jailhouse admissions concerning the nine hundred eleven operatives. The Department of Justice declined to delay his removal pending further investigation of this new information. Other friends of Abdullah also translated for Hazmi and Madar and helped them adjust to life in San Diego. Some held extremist beliefs or were well acquainted with known extremists. For example, immediately after 9 Osama Awadallah, a Yemeni whose telephone number was found in Hazmi's Toyota at Washington Dulles International Airport, was found to possess photos, videos, and articles relating to bin Laden. Awadallah also had lived in a house where copies of bin Laden's fatwas and other similar materials were distributed to the residents. Omar Bakar Bashat, a Saudi, also met Hazmi and Madar at the Rabat Mosque, he admitting helping Hazmi to learn English and taking over the operative's first apartment in San Diego after they moved out. Bakar Bashat apparently had downloaded stridently anti-American web pages to his computer's hard drive. Another potentially significant San Diego contact for Hazmi Madar was Anwar Alaki, an imam at the Rabat Mosque. Born in New Mexico and thus a U.S. citizen, Alaki grew up in Yemen and studied in the United States on a Yemeni government scholarship. We do not know how or when Hazmi Madar first met Alaki. The operatives may even have met or at least talked to him the same day they first moved to San Diego. Hasmi and Madar reportedly respected Alaki as a religious figure and developed a close relationship with him. When interviewed after 9-11, Alaki said he did not recognize Hasmi's name but did identify his picture. Although Alaki admitted meeting with Hasmi several times, he claimed not to remember any specifics of what they discussed. He described Hasmi as a soft-spoken Saudi student who used to appear at the mosque with a companion but who did not have a large circle of friends. Alaki left San Diego in mid-2000 and by early 2001 had relocated to Virginia. As we will discuss later, Hasmi eventually showed up at Alaki's mosque in Virginia, an appearance that may not have been coincidental. We have been unable to learn enough about Alaki's relationship with Hasmi and Madar to reach a conclusion. In sum, although the evidence is thin as to specific motivations, our overall impression is that soon after arriving in California, Hazmi and Madar sought out and found a group of young and ideologically like-minded Muslims with roots in Yemen and Saudi Arabia, individuals mainly associated with Madar Abdullah and the Rabat Mosque. The Al-Qaeda operatives lived openly in San Diego under their true names, listing Hazmi in the telephone directory. They managed to avoid attracting much attention. Flight training fails. Madar bails out. Hazmi and Madar came to the United States to learn English, take flying lessons, and become pilots as quickly as possible. They turned out, however, to have no aptitude for English. Even with help and tutoring from Madar Abdullah and other bilingual friends, Hazmi and Madar's efforts to learn proved futile. This lack of language skills, in turn, became an insurmountable barrier to learning how to fly. A pilot they consulted at one school, the Sorby Flying Club in San Diego, spoke Arabic. He explained to them that their flight instruction would begin with small planes. Hasmi and Madar emphasized their interest in learning to fly jets, Boeing aircraft in particular, and asked where they might enroll to train on jets right away. Convinced that the two were either joking or dreaming, the pilot responded that no such school existed. Other instructors who worked with Hasmi and Madar remembered them as poor students who focused on learning to control the aircraft in flight, but took no interest in takeoffs or landings. By the end of May 2000, Hasmi and Madar had given up on learning how to fly. Madar's mind seems to have been with his family back in Yemen, as evidenced by calls he made from the apartment telephone. When news of the birth of his first child arrived, he could stand life in California no longer. In late May and early June of 2000, he closed his bank account, transferred the car registration to Hasmi, and arranged his return to Yemen, according to KSM. Madar was bored in San Diego and foresaw no problem in coming back to the United States since he had not overstayed his visa. Hasmi and Modar Abdullah accompanied him to Los Angeles on June 9. After visiting the King Fahd Mosque one last time with his friends, Madar left the country the following day. KSM kept in fairly close touch with his operatives using a variety of methods. When Bin Laden called KSM back from Pakistan to Afghanistan in the spring of 2000, KSM asked Khalad, whom we introduced in Chapter 5, to maintain email contact with Hasmi in the United States. Madar's decision to strand Hasmi in San Diego enraged KSM, who had not authorized the departure and feared it would compromise the plan. KSM attempted to drop Madar from the plane's operation and would have done so, he says, had he not been overruled by Bin Laden. Following Midar's departure hasmi grew lonely and worried that he would have trouble managing by himself he prayed with his housemate each morning at 5 a.m. and attended services at the islamic center he borrowed his housemate's computer for internet access following news coverage of fighting in chechnya and bosnia with his housemate's help hasmi also used the internet to search for a wife after obtaining ksm's approval to marry this search did not succeed although he developed a close relationship with his housemate. Hasmi preferred not to use the house telephone, continuing the practice he and Madar had adopted of going outside to make phone calls. After Madar left, other students moved into the house. One of these, Yazid al-Salmi, stands out. In July 2000, Salmi purchased $4,000 in traveler's checks at a bank in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. On September 5th, Hazmi deposited $1,900 of the traveler's checks into his bank account after withdrawing the same amount in cash. It is possible that Hazmi was simply cashing the traveler's checks for a friend. We do not know. Salmi claims not to remember the transaction. After 9-11, Salmi reportedly confided to Modar Abdullah that he had previously known terrorist pilot Hani Hanjour. After living in the same house with Hazmi for about a month, Salmi moved to the La Mesa apartment shared by Abdullah and others. By the fall of 2000, Hasmi no longer even pretended to study English or take flying lessons. Aware that his co-conspirators in Afghanistan and Pakistan would be sending him a new colleague shortly, he bided his time and worked for a few weeks at a gas station in La Mesa, where some of his friends, including Abdullah, were employed. On one occasion, Hasmi told a fellow employee that he was planning to find a better job, and let slip a prediction that he would become famous. On December 8, 2000, Hani Hanjour arrived in San Diego, having traveled from Dubai via Paris and Cincinnati. Hasmi likely picked up Hanjour at the airport. We do not know where Hanjour stayed. A few days later, both men left San Diego. Before departing, they visited the gas station in La Mesa, where Hasmi reportedly introduced Hanjour as a longtime friend from Saudi Arabia. Hasmi told his housemate that he and his friend Hani were headed for San Jose to take flying lessons, and told his friends that he would stay in touch. Hasmi promised to return to San Diego soon, and he and Hanjour drove off. Hasmi did not sever all contact with his friends in San Diego. According to Abdullah, after Hasmi left San Diego in December 2000, he telephoned Abdullah twice in December 2000 or January 2001. Hasmi said he was in San Francisco and would be attending flight school there about 2 weeks later he said he was attending flight school in Arizona some evidence which we will discuss later indicates that Hasmi contacted Abdullah again in August 2001 in addition during the month following Hasmi's departure from San Diego he emailed his housemate 3 times including a January 2001 email that Hasmi signed Samur an apparent attempt to conceal his identity that struck the housemate as strange at the time. Hasmi also telephoned his housemate that he and his friend had decided to take flight lessons in Arizona and that Medar was now back in Yemen. That was their last contact. When the housemate emailed Hasmi in February and March of 2001 to find out how he was faring, Hasmi did not reply. The housemate who rented the room to Hazmi and Madar during 2000 is an apparently law-abiding citizen with long-standing, friendly contacts among local police and FBI personnel. He did not see anything unusual enough in the behavior of Hasmi or Madar to prompt him to report to his law enforcement contacts, nor did those contacts ask him for information about his tenants-slash-housemates. End of Chapter 7.1 Recording by Leanne Howlett